1: Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick. And as always, we like to talk about things related to crisis management, resilience, business continuity, COVID, well being, anything that can help you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I am the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find. And I do respond to everything I get. Today, we're going to talk to the author of Strategic Corporate Crisis Management, a well respected crisis management expert, Brendan Monahan. Brendan, welcome to the show. Hi, Alex. Thank you. So nice to be here with you today. Thanks for having me. Uh, pleasure to have you. And congratulations on the book. Thank you. Thank Lots you. Lots of good information in here. <clears throat> Thank you. Appreciate it. It's very exciting to to have it out in the world now. Yeah, <laughs> and I know how much uh, <laughs> effort goes into you know writing one of these things. So uh, sure. you know, kudos to f- to being able to find the time to actually do that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> now I know you and I have chatted back and forth, so I know a little <clears throat> bit. about you. But just in case, a listener or a viewer uh, on the other side of the world isn't quite sure who Brendan Monahan is. Can you take a minute or two and just tell us a little bit about you, what you do, and how you got into this?
2: Sure. Yeah, happy to. Um, so at, at present, I'm the head of U.S. crisis management and resilience for a global pharmaceutical company. And uh, I've been there for about five years. Prior to that, I worked for two major critical infrastructure companies in the U.S. doing very similar work, sort of advising um security leadership teams and executive teams on crisis, business continuity, and intelligence, uh, resilience-related topics. And prior to that, I worked for the New Jersey State Office of Homeland Security, um, mm. which was kind of my first entry into some of this work um, and brought me into contact with a lot of the public sector and private sector experts at the time, um, and uh, and was my entry into,
1: into the business of this work. Ah, well, welcome to the show. I'm glad you could join us today. Thank you. Now, we've got a couple of topics we're going to talk about, but the first one has to do with <clears throat> the plan. Quote, when the plan doesn't quite go to plan. <laughs> <laughs> what do we do? How how does that happen? How do we address it?
2: Yeah. Yeah, It's that's... That's the million-dollar question, right? The, does the plan ever really go to plan, you know? And and that's that seems to be the conversation that um, we we're having a lot these days because we keep having these significantly consequential incidents over and over, and and it seems like you know the first thing we do is go back and review the plan and tweak it or modify it or um, add context and detail. The same is true for exercises. Right often, the the main learning from an exercise is to revise the plan in some manner. <clears throat> and look, I, I think I think we need to be realistic about what plans are and what service they provide us. You know, speaking for you know crisis management practitioners, as a crisis management practitioner, I, I think the way I think of it is this: plans are table stakes. Right, we have to have them. They are our responsibility. Um, they are an expectation of our leaders, of our regulators, of our stakeholders, customers, consti- constituents. You name it. We can't go without plans, right? But we <clears throat> we continue to acknowledge that the plans don't always meet with the reality of the circumstances we're confronted with. So, so how do we um, how do we live with that contradiction? Um, And I think, you know, part of the coming to terms with that is that the, the plans give us the ability to earn the right to do the work that delivers the most value when the unexpected happens, which is to guide our leaders and our stakeholders to good decisions that they make for themselves. And ultimately, I think that's our mission. That's my mission, right, is to give leaders in times of crisis where Um, there is no existing business process where there is no precedent, um, a menu of options to work from. And to some extent, the plans may come into play, um, but very often they don't. So the way I look at it is that for many stakeholders, regulators, all the, the people that I mentioned during peacetime and blue sky days, the planning process serves a certain purpose, right? But when things happen, The planning process will have served a different one right which is to have provided some level of readiness by virtue of going through all of that activity among the people that participated which pays off if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so by going through a planning process we've identified willing partners we've found some gaps we've gained a greater understanding about the way in which our organization works and that will enable that better decision making at the end of the day, um, so you know, how do you program for that? That's, I think, that's the challenge where I see myself now, um, and many of the people that I talk to is how do we, how do we acknowledge that we need the plans, they need to be good, um, but they have their limits.
1: How do we um, deal with the fact that we can be hindered by multiple situations? And the plan as it is may be good in one of those situations, but it's not perfect for another one. Do we just start over? Do we start hitting the delete key? How do you manage the plan under those kind of things where it could fit for one situation, but not for another?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's always going to be an approximation of reality, right? Especially like the organizations that I've worked for, many of the organizations that I work with, they evolve and change so quickly it's almost impossible to keep normal business operating plans up to up to date, let alone yeah. you know plans built to serve an organization moving that quickly in crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, so so where I think our planning can be most effective is by sort of defining the guardrails for what good decision making will entail um, when it's needed where where no other process or plan can, can support what's happening, and that's you know those guardrails are you know who needs to talk to each other, what connections need to be made, what parties need to be brought to bear, and what parties can can maybe take you know a second chair at the moment. So how do we how do we define our objectives where we need to? So if a plan can de- help you sort of guide that decision. And just guide that process. Then I think it's delivering a lot of value. And and interestingly, I think by going through that process, you uncover a lot of interesting opportunities and gaps within a business that can deliver value along the way. So mm-hmm. so what I look for is you know the 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 strategy should be the team, right? And the plan in crisis is the discussion. So we get the right players together and we we put them in the position of strength to make good decisions about what's happening and quickly bring the right resources to bear. Um, the other thing the other area I think where where good plans deliver the most value and and that maybe can have some shelf life is in establishing triggers for action or escalation. Mm. So de- defining what the things are that matter most to your business and how and why, and in what manner you will escalate those issues.
1: What about, and I've seen this happen in real life, uh, people that uh, suddenly they, I like to describe it as uh, you know, mighty mouse. I don't know if you remember the old uh, mighty mouse cartoons. He used yeah, to sure. the song here I come to save the day, you know, a, a leader, a vice president, a manager, a Could be anybody really who just even though you have a plan and you have these triggers and you have these established roles and and things that you describe, but they come charging in, here I come to save the day, and just mess everything up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How do you deal with that? You've got the plan that is helping, but the person that's not.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a really great example of a a tough situation, Alex. And I've been there too. Um and listen, uh that's a, that's a tight spot for a crisis manager, right? Cause that person could very well be your sort of key stakeholder right mm-hmm. here, the owner or the CEO or the the senior most leader. And, and if you're clear about how you define your role and it is to help that person make good decisions, even if um, they may be standing in the way of that process. So it can take a lot of humility and a lot of patience and um, a lot of sort of diplomacy on the part of a a crisis team in that situation to, um, you know, overcome what's happening sometimes, you know, sometimes you can head that off with a well-crafted exercise, Mm -hmm. right? Where you, you've gained the trust of, um, that person, you've gained the trust of his or her seconds in command, right? The level down leadership. Um, you've demonstrated that the people around that person can, um, perform effectively in a tough situation so that the team itself functions better. But some organizations are just, um, are, are just not going to function that well. And, and that's something that, you know, you, you should be alert for if you're in this kind of role and, and think through what, you know, what you're going to do. And the answer might be, you're just going to have to you know, model through and, uh, support that person as best you can and try to find willing partners around you to, uh, to make the best of the situation.
1: Should we proactively reach out to individuals? You know, because you mentioned, tests and exercises. Yeah. Sometimes you have, uh, let's say, a vice president that you need to be there, and she can't make it, so she designates somebody else, and then later on she comes in, you know, and uh, tries to save the day, but because of not being involved, you know, you end up with the situation that I mentioned earlier. So, should we proactively reach out? to people in um, potential decision-making roles to say, hey, you know, I need you to be a part of this, and this is why.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a great step to take, right, so that they understand the process that you have. Every every organization's process will be a little different. Um, <clears throat> they should have an understanding of, of how it works, what it's capable of, what it's not capable of, sort of pull back the curtain a little bit so that they they have an understanding and gain the trust and confidence um, needed to function as part of that team and not necessarily as the, the commander of it, you know, if that's not their role.
1: What about assumptions? Sometimes I, and you probably have run across this too, is that plans get built and uh, even exercised based on assumptions um, and they seem to crop up all over the place and yet when you look at the plan there's only four or five listed so how do we deal with assumptions that sometimes make their way into these plans that we're unaware of
2: yeah i, I mean that's that's another sort of fact about plan inevitability about plans is that they're there are they're always going to be based on some kind of an assumption about what's real and those assumptions at one point may have been very very true. They may have been absolute realities, but as the business evolved, even over the course of a few quarters or a year, um, Mm -hmm. those realities may have shifted under the team's feet to become assumptions that may no longer be true. Like one example um, that comes to mind is an organization that was doing planning on, um, you know, what to do in a sort of massive uh, ransomware attack or a, a cyber attack that bricks, you know, all of their hardware and there's you know often an assumption that there is just like a secret vault filled with extra laptops waiting to be handed out and um that's just not the case most of the time yeah. so there there's going to need to be a different response in that eventuality um you know how how do we get around that well look it goes back to the idea that the you know the strategy is the team and the plan is the discussion right so when that happens if the assumption is apparent and is is going to be inhibiting progress towards your objectives that team is going to have to cope with it right so that that gap is going to be one of your primary objectives we're going to have to close this particular issue when you go back to you know review what happened after then you can start to look at you know why was it an assumption or how is it not captured but i don't know that the goal should always be to have plans that are so perfect that they mm. that they execute flawlessly i think you know the that's the hope but um the, the intent should be that the team can function cohesively, decisively, um, and with urgency when it matters. And, and there should be some expectation on the part of the senior leadership that there will always be a mismatch between the plan and the reality.
1: That might be a challenge sometimes, though, right? Because, you know, no leader wants to be told that uh, or, or learn. That, you know, hey, we have this great plan. We've done all these tests and exercises, and yet we still have gaps. Is it, it's, it's there, it's I, I think there might be a little bit of a, a a mindset change that we have to try and get people to understand.
2: I agree, agree. And that's where it's that's where it's about, you know, getting the team comfortable talking with each other,
1: right?
2: Getting the team comfortable making decisions. Showing them, I think exer- exercises really are effective. Where you've got, you've got to earn the trust of leaders or stakeholders. Right? <clears throat> you can show them what it feels like to have a plan fall flat in a safe setting. Right? Um, show them that the plan, the plan was well constructed. Right? But it, you could show them examples where this has happened in real life at other organizations, and take them through the um, understanding that that it can happen and it's not anybody's fault necessarily. It doesn't have to be, um, but that you still have to deal with it. So what will you do? Right. And show them that you can demonstrate that they can do it, that other leaders have done it. And that that's a sign of good leadership.
1: Yeah. You pump them up a little bit.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Now you mentioned testing a couple of times. How do you go about testing a, a crisis plan? Do you do it as part of a larger business continuity or emergency management or IT disaster recovery uh, test, or can you do it on its own? I think it depends, Alex, on, on the organization
2: and how all of those functions are structured. Sometimes they're all under one roof. Sometimes they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you can do crisis plans on their own, um, or you could do them linked to other other disciplines as well. I think that's a great idea, but I like to keep in mind that there's a, you know, spectrum of types of tests and exercises you can do from a very simple sort of briefing to a (laughs) tabletop, to a rolling trucks, full, you know, fully realistic scenario. Um, And it sort of depends on what the organization is. Like if it's a, if it's a site, you know, sort of a discrete site-sized team that's got boundaries within a broader organization, um, then you can do maybe a little more with uh, less effort. If it's a senior leadership team and you may only have 30 minutes or an hour, you don't get them for four hours for yeah. <laughs> um, an exercise, then, you know, you really got to make the most of that. So you've got to hit them with, you know, key points, give them a feel for what it feels like to be in the and the roles that they might be in. Um, and that can be achieved in sometimes in a tabletop setting. Um, so what I like to do is try to try to match the objectives of the exercise to the organization and the audience, depending on where they are and, and what's going on.
1: Something that will, um, grab their attention so that they suddenly are, their eyes are open. It's like, Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah. And, you know, leadership teams often, you know, they often change and, and, um, the who's on them changes and what their focus is changes. So sometimes it's good to just come in a couple times a year or once a year and do that um, with the teams that are more operational, then you can get a little more in into the details and you might want people to spend four hours in a role simulating being the, the team's communicator or, you know, being the team's sort of operations lead um, and, and really getting exposed to what that feels like.
1: Yeah, and and that goes actually for not just the executive team turnover, but really any other uh, team, it's going to happen. So you have to exercise and review. And the nice thing about uh, that viewpoint, too, is that they might bring in some new perspectives that hadn't been thought of before that could be incorporated into your crisis plan.
2: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And those
1: exercises
2: surface so many Interesting findings, too, independent of the crisis plans and the the crisis team. I've been in so many of those exercises where you bring together in one room individuals that don't often interact directly. So, one, they get to know each other, right, on Mm -hmm. a blue sky day, which has tremendous value in itself, right? The engineer sitting next to the lawyer is like, may not happen all the time, but now they know each other, and when the moment comes, I've seen that work great. But they they can also uncover efficiencies in everyday business that really pay off that they might not otherwise have identified. Mm-hmm. So it's just a, a nice added benefit.
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, and they, they come with their own um, uh, uh, experiences, too, where they may have gone through a crisis, regardless if they have a fancy title yeah. after their name or not hey, I was at such and such company, we had this situation, here's how yeah. we did it, uh, perhaps we can incorporate that into our stuff. Oh, yeah, we never thought of that because that's never happened here.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, you know, at this point in 2023, everyone's been through something somewhere and seen mm-hmm. some stuff. So we've all got stories to tell, and, and those are really you know important to hear in those types of settings.
1: On that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. We are talking with Brendan Monahan today, the author of Strategic Corporate Crisis Management. And we will be right back.
0: Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts.
3: Tune in each week for The Labenthal Report with hosts Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman. The Labenthal Report keeps you in tune with market conditions, investment opportunities, and outlooks based on the stories and headlines to keep you in touch with your financial success. Are you picking the right financial path? Find out by listening to The Labenthal Report, live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We all hear about information security, identity, and privacy threats. The more technology becomes part of our lives, with more data created to provide insights about our lives, the more concerned we need to be. That's why it's important to tune in to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Host Rebecca Harold is an internationally recognized expert in these areas. Rebecca and her guests will let you know how to keep your business and personal data safe. Listen live the first Saturday of each month at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
1: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
0: You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to
1: preparing for the unexpected. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Brendan Monahan, the author of Strategic Corporate Crisis Management. Uh, Brendan, great first segment. Lots of good information there uh, about talking about the plan and um, keeping it going and testing and exercising and a, a bunch of other topics. Now let's jump to something uh, about the team. How do you go about building a good team who needs to be involved? What role should they play? Should it be hierarchy based? How do you, what are your thoughts on the team?
2: Yeah. So I, I look at, um, I look at the team as having sort of like concentric circles, right? There's, there's a, a core team. There's a, a slightly broader team around them and then maybe a, an even broader group of experts um, on the outside of that. And you know, some of that may be defined for us by regulators or um, by a system that we may have adopted. Maybe it's ICS or maybe it's an ISO format or um, whatever the case may be. It could be your internal policy defines who must be, um, on the team. Uh, but ideally Alex, I think, you know, the team should consist of a, of a core few people who are sort of the shepherds of the process, right? Experts in the organization's crisis management policy for one, a better term, right? How to get that policy, um, how to meet with the internal requirements of the organization in terms of whatever that is, and then how to bring the right people to bear. So you need to have that core group. And then around them, when an incident occurs, you would want to have you know, a sort of regular group of people that are familiar, trained, exposed to incidents in the past um, that may serve in roles on the team, You know, some sort of a leader, some sort of an operations person, someone with a logistics background, so on. And then beyond that, I think of the team as really kind of consisting of a roster of subject matter experts that have some exposure to the crisis management process. They get brought in depending on what's happening, Yeah, data data privacy or legal expert or health and safety expert or uh, you name it, right? Um, So that's how I look at the team sort of ideally being constructed.
1: But uh, again, because I, I asked this in the, the first one, how do you determine exactly who's in that core team? Because you end up with, uh, let's say, three vice presidents. I'll just say that for, for argument's sake. And you just know that fourth one is a little upset. Why aren't I a part of this? Mm. And sometimes it en- en- ends up undermining what it is you're trying to do.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so you know, the last in the last section, we talked a lot about plans and and how um, plans, well executed, maybe may not always meet with the reality of the circumstances, but can help provide guardrails to drive a good discussion. Mm-hmm. Here's an area where I think policy may matter. Right, if you have the ability to do it in your organization, to create a crisis management policy or a business continuity resilience, whatever it is. Have a policy that defines to a certain extent who should, who should be the key decision maker, the ultimate decision maker on that team, or or who should be the shepherd of that process initially to avoid the collision of interests that you just described, which can Mm -hmm. occur. So if you, if you can do that, then that's not a decision you have to make when the moment comes. It's clear, right? It's, you know, Alex is going to take the lead. He's going to consult with the president and then we'll build out the team in concentric circles from there to find objectives and proceed. Uh, ideally that's how I would look at it.
1: So what are some of the uh e characteristics of a, a good crisis management team? What kind of things should they know or how should they behave or you know So what kind of things should they know? I I would answer
2: that by starting with outputs, right? What is it what is their value proposition? Right? It's to deliver good decisions in tough times. So to do that, the team has to have access to a map of the organization's universe. Right. The the fully deployed team should should be a microcosm of the organization's universe or the pieces of it that matter at this point. Right. So during blue sky times where nothing's happening, you know, the the sort of keepers of the policy, the keepers of the crisis management program should be sort of developing sources around the organization, um, establishing contacts and relationships and and looking for ways in which to get things done um, now in the present, because the incident will come in the present and whatever, however we used to do it won't matter anymore. <laughs> It'll now matter today. So that that's how I look at standing teams in peacetime. I think in in response, then the the crisis organization should take take the shape of its container, whatever that whatever that is the the um, direction or the guidance or the guardrails in place and the plans may may have been obstructed by the incident. So now we're going to have to respond differently.
1: Yeah, I remember being told a long time ago the saying that um, any disaster or crisis will dictate what it is you need to do yes yeah you know, it, because it you could think you're going in the right direction and then that situation throws you a curveball and suddenly you're going in a different direction yeah absolutely and and
2: i think the reality is that sometimes action needs to be taken if it's really bad some action needs to be taken in order to prompt a result which defines what the next right thing is if that makes sense but mm-hmm. right. if you're you're in the fog, you don't know if there's a wall in front of you unless you take a step where you reach out and touch it. Sometimes you need to probe through a little bit and and have some some boldness and have some leadership that's willing to support that kinds of thing. I experienced that a lot in the Covid response, where it wasn't clear what the right thing was to do. It wasn't clear what the credible guidance meant. so we we needed to take deliberate, slow, steady action towards what we thought was right for us. And little by little, we found the way, with some missteps along the way. But you're not taking a, a running leap at the at the wall you can't see. You're slowly approaching it.
1: How do you keep a team going, though? Because in crisis management, um, knock on wood, you know that hopefully a year goes by and nothing has happened, and nothing has had to have been activated. Um, these team members haven't gotten together to discuss you know, something that needs to go into to social media or, you know, a spokesperson, you know, because of a, uh, a situation being faced, how do you keep the key, the team going?
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's, you know, it's been my experience a few times where it's like a team has been responding together so long for something that they're tired of. They're tired of meeting all the time. They're tired of the response. So you start to stand it down and they're like, we don't want to stop. No, we, we, <laughs> now what do we do? <laughs> um it, you know i, I think how, how do you keep everyone engaged there has to be a venue for continued interaction right and there's another there's another um sort of hidden value in a planning process is it it's it's an occasion it's a cause for people to come together um around the planning process which is a deliverable right you, you can't make things happen in organizations without a reason so a planning process provides an organization with the, the capability to do some things around planning, but also to bring people together, right? To keep that sort of energy and momentum, you know, at a pace or at a cadence that's it's not imposing on the business. You don't want to stand in the way of progress, you know, but that still provides the support that people need, um, whether it's quarterly or biannually, or monthly, whatever the right whatever the right amount is and then i think when when things are happening alex this is part of your your earlier question is how do you keep the team moving the the best crisis leaders that i've worked around just had incredible kindness patience intangible qualities of leadership that that made it possible for people to do their best work in tough times um So I have learned a lot by working around people like that, that bring kindness and positivity to difficult discussions with honesty, candor, but without um, adding any additional sort of interpersonal stress. It's hard to do, especially when people are experiencing something difficult. Um, So that's one of the things that I admire most about some of the crisis practitioners I've worked with.
1: Yeah, that's got to be tough because, you know, the the demand for information goes up. The time you have to uh, respond to situations, uh, whether it be a question or rebuilding a mainframe, whatever it could be, goes down. And the last thing anybody needs is a leader uh, who's flipping out, shall we say, you know, losing control, you know, and putting additional stress on people who are trying to do the right thing.
2: Yeah. And and maybe some of that is a fact of life in, in some organizations. But um in that that core of the concentric circles, right? You can have you can have people that have a talent for insulating others from, from some of that maybe negativity, um, and and being able to not take themselves that seriously, maybe even bring a sense of humor to bear. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that's I think that really matters. Um and and you can bring that to the planning process as well and sort of make make the experience good for people along the way
1: how about uh cuz you mentioned uh, an interesting example here you said uh, uh based on the situation alex will be the person who's going to talk to the president what if i'm not available what if yes. i'm a lottery and i'm on a beach in rio you know <laughs> <laughs> right yeah i mean you've got
2: to you got to have some bench strength on that core team it's got to be at least a backup to Alex, um, if not two. Uh, and, you know, in my in my view, I, I keep trying to keep that bench strength throughout the concentric circles so that there's, you know, if you look at it, it seems like a cast of thousands. And you don't want that, but you, you do want to have, you're probably not going to not have Alex on the crisis team, right? He'll probably show up, but there definitely is going to be some expert that you really need who is not going to be there. You know, it's going to be a legal expert or a health and safety expert. So it's good to have one or two of those, or at least bring in the, um, the business owner from that area who can find whoever it is now that you're going to need. So it's, it's a lot of stakeholder management in my mind. Um, but on that core team, you got to have Alex and Alex's deputy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't hear a lot about uh, cross training much these days. Mm-hmm. That before Y two K, because that's how long I've been around, there was lots of talk about cross training this, cross training that, mm-hmm. and now that never seems to crop up. Hmm. But it's important. It, it is important. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is important.
2: I don't know why that is. Maybe, maybe people are so specialized now that it's spectacle practical mm-hmm. than it sure. used to be. Oh, I'm speculating, but yeah, um, oh. yeah. I mean. Frost training is a, that's a challenge in a complex organization. Um, you know, in, in so in utility world and the critical infrastructure world, um, a lot of the responses that I was involved in had to do with uh, resource management, right? There's a storm and um, massive power outage over a huge area. And so companies have mutual aid agreements to bring in teams from other states. So there's a, a lot of excellent planning that can be done definitively around how to achieve that. Right. So that's a smooth process. Um, and you can cross train people within those specialties so that, mm-hmm. you know, um, office workers like me could do some basics or of lookup and safety work out in the field to help those teams deploy efficiently. Like that's, you know that's an area where it could be useful but in some industries um like the one i'm in now the work is so specialized and so unique to the organization itself it's hard to it's hard to bring in mutual aid let alone cross train under one's own roof somehow yeah so the challenge is at that point it's not a resource management issue it's more of a um, problem solving under constrained conditions sort of thing
1: any final uh, words on uh, teams I,
2: I will say this so my my dark horse on any crisis management team the the absolute winner and i don't i don't know hear a lot of people talk about it is a procurement expert having a procurement expert who knows how to buy stuff who knows how to get things um that you've never bought before from partners you've never worked with before that's a huge win i've had that happen many many times and uh I would strongly recommend crisis management teams to make sure they have a procurement expert sitting right next to them.
1: Yeah. Especially with, um, you know, the big supply chain issues that we're experiencing yeah. now that procurement person has their fingers in all the contracts and the SLAs and, you know, who the contact people are and, you know, not just locally, but, you know, <laughs> it could be internationally. Yeah. They're, Absolutely. they're, they're a key person. On that note, we've come to the end of our second segment. Today, we are talking with Brendan Monahan, the author of Strategic Corporate Crisis Management, and we will be right back.
0: Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts.
3: How do you cultivate braver, more daring leaders? And how do you embed the value of courage in your culture? How do you take charge of your life and achieve your goals and bring about positive changes that propel you forward? On The Leader's Edge, join your hosts, Steve and Ernie, as they bring a mix of insights and personal and leadership growth that shapes your culture and the culture around you. Lean in and learn intentionally how to accelerate into your next best life. Tune into The Leader's Edge. With de Kumos and Steve Steele, Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here.
0: Voice America Business Network. Listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone road.com. Again, that's info at stone road.com. Now back to
1: preparing for the unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Brendan Monahan, the author of Strategic Corporate Crisis Management. Uh, Brendan, great segments there uh, talking about teams and the, the plan. Now let's talk about uh, what sometimes people call a buzzword: resilience. What does resilience mean to you?
2: <laughs> These are all the, the million dollar questions today. What is? <laughs> yeah, um, yes, it's a it's a it's a tough one, right? It's a it's a, sometimes a semantic question. Sometimes people feel very strongly about it. Um, the, the way I the way I think about resilience in the work that I do now alex is is kind of simple right or or try to think it's simple and i probably leave a lot out but um i I just simply try to think of it in terms of the key disciplines um that we've been talking about today right and how they interact The, the crisis management business continuity security management risk management disaster recovery right the the interplay between all of those they all have some relationship to each other not with all of them you know, uh, but but there's uh there's a connection across all of these disciplines and I think to the extent that we can collectively provide a service to our organizations when something unexpected happens, then that's a measure of our resilience right resilience is the outcome of the ability of those disciplines to interact with each other well. Um, I mean that's that's kind of how I look at it right now in my own work it's i think of resilience as how effective i am at, at crossing functions and and finding connections with those different groups
1: how do you bring some of those groups together because let's face it we always hear we need to break down the silos and we hear uh executives who agree with that but then when you really start talking to managers and directors and other positions those silos are still there mm-hmm. So how do you bring them together? It's hard. I mean it's 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 a challenge and it's a different
2: challenge in every organization. Some are better at it than others. Um you just have to find common ground and um and you know what I what I do is spend some time out of my week sort of humbly reaching out like hey tell me about what you do or I saw what you did and it was really cool. I'm interested in learning more sort of expressing my own curiosity about some of those areas and opening doors um where there are silos um or walls or obstacles sometimes the sometimes a way around them is to develop a personal relationship with someone on the other side and mm-hmm. then start to work through it um
1: but you know sometimes that's not going to be possible
2: and uh you know it, you're going to have to work around it another way
1: yeah because uh, some people just you know uh, that's not my concern I, I focus on this, and no matter what you do, they just ignore you. But yeah. then, but I guess you could kind of address that too when testing comes along. Because now people are going to have assumptions. Well, so and so is going to do that. Yes, you can. So st- that person, you know, Bill, isn't going to want to look bad anymore. And suddenly they're going to want to jump in. Get me up to speed. What's going on?
2: Right you know, I try to think of myself in in the role sometimes as being a connector right be a connector be a closer right be someone who can find find simplicity and sort of remove friction where I see it where it's where it's appropriate for me to speak up about um I, you know that's that's some of the value that we can deliver on an ongoing basis um and and in a way that's not You know, authoritative or directive. It's it's just I'm going to be brief. I'm going to be bright. I'm going to be um, coming at you with the best of intent, right? And um, seeking partnership. I seek partnership more than anything else I do. Um, And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes after it works, it doesn't anymore. Um, But that's you know part of the persistence that it takes to get this work done well, so that. Um the machine functions when it when the wheels fall off <laughs> you
1: <know? laughs> do you do you think sometimes resilience is becoming a buzzword, a catch-all for everything?
2: um it, yeah, I mean, I, I try not to wade into the semantic battle too much. I prefer, I mean, I prefer readiness um I think I think resilience is a fine word. You, you can choose the word that resonates with your organization. yeah. Um, for some people, uh, resilience has a has like an individual connotation. Um, for others, it's more of an organizational thing. It depends, right? You you have to function within the culture where you find yourself, and if the organization wants to call it operational resilience or you know business resilience and assurance, or you just gotta you know find the terms that that make people understand what it is um, yeah. or what you're going for. And and leave it at that. Right. I like one word, but we're going to have to use a different one as long as people get the meaning.
1: Yeah. You know, when I think of resilience, it's uh, it has such a broad scope that it's really difficult to and and it's an understood word by Mm -hmm. many people that have nothing to do with organizational resilience or operational resilience. They understand the word resilience, but then all of a sudden the context completely changes when we start talking about business continuity or IT disaster recovery. Yeah. So like, th- this is confusing, and suddenly you've got everybody with a different definition trying to figure out what it is they're talking about. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's a challenge. It's an ongoing challenge.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. with uh, either resilience or readiness, to use your word, uh yeah. What can organizations start doing or stop doing to get them on that path of readiness, creating readiness?
2: I think it I think it comes back to a lot of the things that we've talked about, right? Taking a sort of a positive approach to planning that's realistic, right? That recognizes the value in the planning process that is greater than the plans alone. And that readiness or resilience can emerge from um, the act of going through and developing plans and making connections between people um, and challenging assumptions and um, being willing to take a risk and be wrong in an exercise setting um, and learning about what all that feels like. Um, I think those are some of the things that that matter most. You know, the other the other challenge we will probably always have for for functions that play in the resilient space. And that's um, the crisis teams. It's the security teams. It's your risk management teams, even your compliance teams to some extent. is that so often the value that they bring is in when something doesn't happen. And how do you demonstrate that, right? So how do you how do you continue to, to show your value by preventing things from, from not manifesting? <laughs> um, and... You know, I, I, I look at that as an opportunity to deliver value throughout whatever your process, whatever your policy defines, right? Um, it's not about the sort of fear and uncertainty of, of what could be, but it's about the opportunities um, that come with following the process. Like the old saying, it's the friends we made along the way, you know, <laughs> it sounds kind of corny, but um, but in fact, I think that's sometimes how it works best. In my experience, the you know the teams that came through um, COVID responses were the ones that had done exercises in the previous few months, right? And um, yeah, they had documented, they had done everything they needed to do, but most of all, they understood each other, how they operated and what decisions they needed to make and how, and it paid off for them.
1: Well, we're coming to the end of the show. Uh, we've got about three, just under three minutes left. Do you have any final thoughts or ideas you'd like to convey uh, regarding, your, um, maybe something that we didn't address? It's in your book or uh, business continuity in general, resilience, readiness. Sorry, readiness. It's, it's, it's okay. I won't get mad. You can call it whatever you like. Um,
2: yeah. Look the the way I the way I always think about it in my mind, and this goes back to a very early mentor I had um, in this work, was that when when the sort of plan falls flat or you don't know what to do, um, then focus on the next right thing and ask yourself who's in charge, what needs to be done, and who's doing what, right? If we we don't have a plan or the plan's not working, we're going to create a plan as we go, and we'll ask and answer those questions. If I can't ask and answer those questions, then it needs to stop. The action needs to pause until we can. Then we'll establish some stability. We'll define some objectives. And
1: we'll go from there. I, I liked what you said earlier too about um oh and it just went out of my head. Unbelievable. <laughs> it must have been that, good. That there was a, <laughs> the, there's construction happening and it's been quiet this entire time and all of a sudden there was a big bang. I don't know if anyone could hear it. And it just I didn't
2: I didn't, but that's
1: that's oh. life. That's what happened. You know what? Put it in the show notes and we'll we'll look for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get distracted. <laughs> <laughs> well whatever that question was. <laughs> thank you so much, Brendan, for yeah. sharing your time and expertise with us today. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Alex. A really pleasure uh, uh, talking with you. Congratulations on the 600 episodes.
1: Yeah, had? 600 episodes now. We're over oh,
2: 600. Amazing. So, uh, Keep up the great work. Thank you for all you do.
1: Oh, thank you very much. And congratulations on your book too. I do recommend it to everybody. Strategic Corporate Crisis Management. There's lots of good information. And if you're seeing the video, you see that I've got lots of uh, (laughs) pages bookmarked and uh, dog-eared here. So (laughs) That's cool. Thank you. So thanks, Brandon, for joining us. Everybody watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody.
0: Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.